Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do terrific work, and you can find out more by visiting the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Bob Levy. He is a constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll continue our discussion about the uh, cases decided by the Supreme Court in the latest term. We'll also visit with Andrew Joppa, professor as well as author of Josephus of Oz. We'll visit with Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of several books. His latest just coming out this week, How Everything Happened, Including Us. It is July the 29th, and on this day in 1909, the newly formed General Motors Corporation acquired the country's leading luxury automaker, that would be Cadillac Automobile Company, for $4.5 million. Can you imagine that? Cadillac was founded out of the ruins of automotive pioneer Henry Ford's second failed company. His third effort, the Ford Motor Company, finally succeeded. And when the shareholders of the defunct Henry Ford Company called in Detroit machinist Henry Leland to assess the company's assets for their planned sale, Leland convinced them to stay in business. His idea was to combine Ford's latest chassis with a single-cylinder engine developed by Oldsmobile, another early automaker. In the end, the Cadillac Car Company, named for French explorer who founded the city of Detroit in 1701, was founded in August 1902. Leland introduced the first Cadillac priced at $850 at the New York Auto Show the following year. In his first year of production, Cadillac put out nearly 2,500 cars, a huge number at the time. Leland, who was reportedly motivated by an intense competition with Henry Ford, assumed full leadership of Cadillac in 1904 and with his son Wilfred by his side, he firm, firmly established the brand's reputation for quality. Among the other luxury cars being produced in America at the time included Packard, Lozier, McFarland and Pierce Arrow. You've ever heard of those companies? Cadillac led the field, making the top 10 in overall U.S. auto sales every year from 1904 to 1915-1915. It just goes to show that one man's trash is another man's treasure. Cadillac sold by Ford Motor to General Motors for $4.5 million in 1909. Amazing story. Let's talk COVID, uh, 199 new cases of COVID and two additional deaths in Collier County, both kind of old folks. Uh, brings the total cumulative case total to uh, 9,069 out of 56,892 tests. Just a word about that. We don't know how many people have been tested multiple times, uh, nor, well, and we don't know the, the quality of the test. We really don't, based on what I'm hearing around the state. In any event, it's a total related deaths to COVID of, out of a, it brings the total to 120. Now, the big question is, uh, how are we doing with hospital beds? Well, there's been 621 folks who've been admitted for uh, uh, hospitalized because of COVID-19. 154 patients currently are being treated in Collier County hospitals. The county currently has 19.6 of its total hospital beds available and 30.9% of its adult ICU beds available. So there's plenty of room for cases. In fact, uh, COVID-19-related hospitalizations in Southwest Florida's largest health care systems are at their lowest level uh, in weeks, according to administrators. That's good news. The only other uh, news related to COVID-19 right now is that Collier County School Board voted unanimously to push back the school start for a second time following a discussion uh, of the 2020-2021 uh, academic year. It's going to be pushed back to August the 31st. Now, the Commission of Education said it's got to start in August, so they're starting the last day of August, August uh, 31st. Uh, Seven-day averages for cases, all those things. The good news is that things are looking good for uh, the coronavirus dissipating and going away. That's what we're hoping. Did you see any of the House Judiciary Committee hearings yesterday of Attorney General Bill Barr? It was an embarrassment as much as the 
Brett Kavanaugh hearings, I thought. Democrats made accusations that uh, Barr was carrying out President Trump's political wishes. Uh, they just demonstrated Trump derangement syndrome, in my opinion. It was just palpable. The hearing originally scheduled for 10 a.m. Uh, was that delayed because of <laughs> Representative Jared Nadler was in a car accident. He didn't suffer any injuries. Anyhow, once the hearing began, which lasted until mid-afternoon, Nadler did not hesitate to express his scorn for Barr and his Justice Department. Uh, the chairman went on to claim that Barr and his department had downplayed the effects of systematic racism in the wake of Floyd's death and ongoing protests. Uh, addressing department's approach to cases related to the Russia probe, Nadler summed up the DOJ's attitude by claiming that the president's enemies will be punished and his friends will be protected, according to Nadler. And the DOJ's actions have caused real damage to our Democrat norms, democratic norms. Uh, if you're... Uh, if your time at the department, you've aided and abetted the worst failings of the president, Nadler said. Well, where has this guy been? I don't know what he's... He's the guy that said uh, violence in Portland is a myth. Anyhow, ranking member Jim Jordan, Republican from Ohio, fired back his opening uh, Democrats' hostility towards Barr is based on one thing, and that's spying. Jordan said the Democrats took exception to Barr's accusing the Obama administration of spying on the Trump campaign despite evidence that uh, has come out revealing flaws in the FBI's process in acquiring a warrant to monitor former Trump's campaign advisor, Carter Page. Jordan also pointed to evidence that FBI engaged in questionable tactics in investigating Michael Flynn, whose criminal case the DOJ requested be dismissed. At another point in the hearing, Barr affirmed earlier reporting that he had appointed U.S. Attorney John Bash of the Western District of Texas to investigate the practice of unmasking Americans who have had conversations with foreign officials. Jordan then addressed the ongoing unrest in the U.S., showing a lengthy montage of media clips that began with reporters calling the incidents peaceful protests and then going on to, in a string of clips of violence and fires in various parts of the country. So Jordan was the real hero for the, for the uh, Republicans. <laughs> Barr speaking next with his opening remarks did not shy away from Democrats' accusations against him. He insisted that his acts, he, are, he acts independently of the president and that his goal is to make sure that everyone is treated equally under the law. He emphatically stated that Trump has not attempted to interfere in decisions regarding handling of criminal matters. On the contrary, he's told me that from the start, he should expect he expects me to exercise my independent judgment to make whatever call I think is right, he continued. And that's a, precisely what I've done, said Barr. It was unbelievable. They, they brought up everything from racism to uh, you name it, uh, bringing up uh, voting, all kinds of things. And uh, in the hearing, uh, Barr got an opportunity to explain federal activities in Portland. He said, federal courts are under attack. Since when is it okay to burn down a federal court, Barr said. And he said, uh, if someone went down the street to the Petty Pettyman Court here, the beautiful courthouse we have right here at the bottom of the hill, he was speaking from the Capitol, and started speaking, went, breaking windows and firing industrial-grade uh, fireworks into uh, the court. Is that okay? Is that okay now? No, this, the U.S. Marshals have a duty to stop that and defend the courthouse. So that was his position, what's happening in Portland. We're not looking for trouble, said Barr. He didn't get a chance to speak much because they just spoke over him. They took their time, I think, posturing and preening most of the Democrats for their election uh, uh, quotes. What makes me concerned for this country is that the first time in my memory that leaders of one of our two great political parties, the Democrat Party, are not coming out and condemning mob violence and the attack on federal courts, Barr said. Why can't we just say, you know violence against federal courts has to stop? Could we hear something like that, said Barr? It was great. He also had an opportunity to explain his positions on Michael Flynn, Roger Stone, uh, mail-in ballots, uh, election fraud, systematic racism in the DOJ, and all that stuff. Jerry and Natalie tried to deny uh, Barr from taking a five-minute break, <laughs> and, and uh, he said, I wait 45 minutes for, to an hour for you this morning, he said, referring to a minor car accident, and I, have to, I haven't had lunch. I'd like to take a five-minute break, he said. You're a class act, Barr chuckled. You're a real class act. And that's exactly, he just summed up beautifully 
uh, what happened yesterday because the Democrats just look like complete fools in that. Again, it was just as embarrassing as the Brett Kavanaugh hearing, in my opinion. I know that uh, Andrew Joppa will have more to say about this later. Uh, but uh, anyhow, it was such an interesting exchange. Uh, in fact, the, the kind of thing closed out here with uh, Jordan saying to Nadler, he's here, why don't you let him speak, why don't you let him answer the questions, because nobody really let him talk. If you want the Attorney General to come to at least let him answer the accusations made against him, time after time you refuse to let the Attorney General answer the questions posed to him, said uh, Jordan. Great exchange, uh, just uh, too bad. I can't, just can't believe people actually elect these bozos that are up there uh, <laughs> posturing and printing for election because they obviously had no interest in hearing what Barr had to say. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. Coming up, we're going to visit with Bob Levy. Bob is a constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden uh, Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop well, by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Golf Shore Playhouse, devoted to creating professional New York-style theater at its very best and at affordable prices, presents a fabulous new season of productions beginning in November with a world premiere of a one-man show written by and starring the talented associate artistic director of Golf Shore Playhouse, Jeffrey Bender. Pinup Girls opens in January, singing a cavalcade of hits inspired by real letters from our troops overseas. Inspired by what they find funny, romantic, heartbreaking, and sexy, the ladies put on a show that celebrate the guys and gals who fight to defend our country. Bang Bang opens in March, written by legendary actor of Monty Python fame, John Cleese. You'll surely be wiping away tears of laughter with this one. William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream opens in March. Meddling parents, impetuous young lovers, and cunning fairies collide in Shakespeare's enchanting classic. Another Revolution by Jacqueline Bircher opens in May. You won't want to miss this timely new work about finding hope in one another through the uncertainty of the world around us. What a terrific season of productions. Tickets for this great new season are available now. Tickets start at only $38. Tickets can be purchased by calling the box office at 866-811-4100. 11 or visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org we'll see you at the show welcome back to the bob harden show and now here's your host bob harden Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And I hope you'll visit the website and get tickets now, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. As I mentioned before the break, he is a constitutional scholar. He's an author. He's written several books. And he's the chairman of a terrific organization, the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank Always you. A pleasure. Thank you so much, Bob. And tell us about the Cato Institute. 
We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., focused on private property, free markets, securing individual rights, and limited government. Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. So, Bob, for the last few weeks, we've been talking about the Supreme Court's latest term that began in October 2019 and ended a couple weeks ago. We were talking about religious cases. The second key religion case of the term involved Obamacare. Could you tell us about the details? Yeah, this was the religious exemption for uh, contraceptive insurance case, Little Sisters of the Poor. Uh, was the name of the <clears throat> versus Pennsylvania was the name of the case. Uh, President Trump issued an executive order which allowed a broader range of companies and universities to claim religious or moral exemptions from offering contraceptive coverage in their insurance policies under Obamacare. The uh, circuit court held that the administration lacked the authority to do that, and even if it had the authority, it didn't follow the appropriate procedures. You know, the background to this is that some a uh, couple of years ago, Hobby Lobby, mm-hmm. a private company, uh, was allowed to um, opt out of providing contraceptive insurance uh, because of their religious beliefs. But that was a for-profit corporation. And then Little Sisters of the Poor, a religious institute, challenged the same thing. And they were told, well, look, there's a compromise available, and that is the insurance companies will provide the coverage, and they won't charge you for it, and they won't charge the employee for it. Now, this is a little bit of hocus-pocus with dollars and cents. (laughs) When the Supreme Court considered that, they remanded it to the lower courts to give the parties time to find a solution. Unfortunately, the parties didn't find a solution, and that's why uh, the case came back to uh, the Supreme Court on uh, this most recent term. And so uh, what was the courts holding this time around? Well, this is another one of those cases that I mentioned to you where there's uh, sort of a a lineup that you wouldn't have expected. Thomas wrote the opinion 7-2. And uh, under Obamacare, federal agencies can promulgate rules that are not subject to the usual procedural requirements that provide religious or moral exemptions from covering uh, contraceptives. Kagan concurred, uh, and Breyer uh, concurred with her, so they lined up with the conservatives on this. They claimed that the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, was ambiguous regarding whether or not the agencies could do this, but even given its ambiguity, the court had to defer to what the agency did. So that's where we stand. There was a dissent by the other liberals, Ginsburg with uh, Sotomayor. Uh, They contended that the court has favored religion, over competing rights, namely health, instead of balancing the the two interests. Hmm. But this was an interesting uh, victory for conservatives, but with some liberal support. Hmm. Interesting. So the third religious case was about the so-called ministerial exception. What was that all about? This is the Our Lady of Guadalupe uh, case. Uh, Catholic schools fired some fifth-grade teachers. Excuse me, Bob, I need a cut this uh, other phone off. <laughs> That's okay. <clears throat> so uh, th- these Catholic schools fired some fifth-grade teachers who then sued under uh, federal non-discrimination statutes. And again, we had a 7-2 uh, opinion. This was by Alito plus the conservatives, again joined by Breyer and uh, Kagan. Hmm. The Ninth Circuit had reversed the ministerial exception, which is an exception that says, you know, when you have somebody who's involved in the teaching of religion, they're not going to be subject to the usual employment discrimination uh, laws. Hmm. So in this case, the ministerial exception was reinstated uh, for these particular institutions because the teachers were involved in, and this is a quote from the opinion, educating young people in their faith inculcating its teachings, training them to live their faith. Again, Sotomayor and Ginsburg uh, dissented and said this ministerial exception is a judge-made doctrine uh, that's limited to employees, should be limited to employees that are in leadership positions and those with special theological training, like ministers, for example, and not extended to uh, lay faculty. So, again, a 
conservative uh, victory with a couple of liberals joining the board. So interesting. Uh, so let's uh, switch to sex discrimination. That was a big case on gay rights. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yeah, this was <clears throat> this was a case involving um, whether or not the Civil Rights Act, Title VII, covers LGBT uh, persons. Uh, that is, whether or not the act, which by its text says you can't discriminate in employment based on color, religion, uh, gender, or um, or national origin, whether that extends to sexual orientation and identity, sexual identity. Mm-hmm. The Seventh Circuit had said, yes, uh, <clears throat> that uh, it does extend to uh, LGBT, but that ignored uh, Congress's um, uh, you know, consideration of this issue on multiple occasions and refusal to write LGBT into the act. Mm-hmm. And Congress also wrote LGBT into some other acts. For example, the Violence Against Women Act and the Hate Crimes Act, both of which say no discrimination on the basis of gender or sexual orientation. So Congress knew how to do it when they wanted to do it, and they did not do it uh, with uh, Title Seven. Nonetheless, uh, the court held six to three, again, another one of these coalitions. In this case, it was Gorsuch and Roberts that joined with the liberals. Hmm. And they held that the text can be interpreted as covering gay and transgender, despite the legislative intent, despite the history, and despite the prior practice. Gorsuch was exercising hyper-strict adherence to his textual views. He said the word text has to be interpreted very broadly, notwithstanding there is all of this uh, evidence to the contrary regarding legislative intent, history, and prior practice. Uh, So a third very interesting coalition opinion, in this case a victory for the liberals. Yeah, and uh, there was a lot of uh, pushback from uh, conservatives about this decision. I'm not exactly certain exactly why, but it has something to do with sexual identity. Uh, I need to look into that further. Any comments on that? Only that uh, Gorsuch, I think, has has been a a principal advocate for textualism. And uh, while you might quibble with uh, his application of that doctrine in this case, I don't think you can accuse him of politicizing the issue. He is exercising his textual views, which tend to be, in this case, different than the textual views exercised by some of the other conservatives. Mm -hmm. But make no mistake about it, Gorsuch, nonetheless, is a textualist. And that's his reading of the case based on that principle. You know, Bob, just overall, the cases we've discussed so far, it looks like the court is not necessarily conservative or liberal, the justices, but they're trying to look at the law. I mean, it's a little bit refreshing to me, quite frankly, that some of the decisions will be made 7-2, 9-0, that kind of thing. Yeah, this is uh, Roberts, uh, I think, uh, succeeding in having the court um, maintain its its image of institutional respectability. He doesn't want the court to be politicized. He doesn't want the court viewed as uh, divided along these ideological lines with uh, four conservatives, four liberals, and then he tends to weigh in as the swing vote. Mm-hmm. So we have a number of opinions here that are 6-3, with unusual uh, coalitions. I think that's healthy. Uh, I'd, I'd, you know, sometimes I disagree with the outcomes of some of those cases, but I do think it is healthy for the court, yeah. particularly in these highly polarized times, for one institution in our government to be perceived as not driven by ideology and politics. Well said. Bob Levy, again, the chairman of the Cato Institute, the, the website, and I hope you'll visit Cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, always appreciate your commentary. Thanks so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, we're going to move from policy and law to culture with a discussion with Andrew Joppa, professor at Mercy College. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blueprint.
Provence restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. And that's just one of the very great initiatives of the Foundation for Government Accountability. You can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Uh, we have with us Andrew Joppa, professor at Mercy College and author of Josepha Savaz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. So, you know, uh, we watched the bar hearings and uh, uh, just a number of things yesterday. I'm really looking forward to our discussion because you always focus on culture as opposed to politics, which I think is so refreshing. But before we do that, uh, any observations about uh, the COVID-19 and what's happening here on the Paradise Coast? Well, I was just looking at the most recent numbers. As of today, uh, Florida is 24th on the list of most, most death, the highest death rates in America. The leading states by far are the are six uh, Democrat strongholds, uh, New Jersey, New York, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Rhode Island, and District of Columbia lead the list. Uh, New Jersey being six times higher than Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, Florida with 28 deaths per 100,000. Uh, New Jersey at uh, 178 deaths per 100,000. And it's more than just the deaths. The, the number of deaths are also indicative of the general severity of the disease. So, you know, Florida's taking a major hit. I keep getting calls from my friends all around the country and trying to make sure if I'm still alive. <laughs> uh, and yet Florida is not by any measurement, Bob one of the more seriously affected states from COVID-19. But, yeah. uh, of course, the media is not going to say anything resembling that. Well, just to pile on here, Larry, because we talked about this earlier in the show, but the, the focus has always been uh, the hospitalizations and availability of not creating a health care crisis. Well, 30% of all adult ICUs are available here in Collier County. So, I mean, we, we, we have flattened the curve. And it doesn't matter how many cases there are. The, the real question is, how sick are people? Do they have to be hospitalized? And if we have hospital beds available, then there's, you know, quite frankly, not a problem. Well, there's no doubt this is being politicized. You know, I also have no doubt that there's a serious issue uh, pertaining to with the Wuhan flu, so I'm not negating that. Uh, on the other hand, when we look at the general pushback uh, from many people and uh, political pushback in terms of not opening the schools, the general consensus of science is that there is very little problem with, with reopening the schools in the fall. Children are not carriers of the disease. Uh, they don't generally get the disease, and if they do, it's, it has 
uh, a very low level severity. So uh, I think the schools should open. There's no health reason, uh, serious health reason, at least, where that should not happen. And, of course, if we talk about the uh, unintended consequences of not opening the schools, they are far more significant by every measurement than COVID-19 itself. There's no question. uh, I think we have to start being reasonable about this and not just running in fear or in a political model. Right. I saw one of the statistics that suggested there's more people dying from overdoses uh, from uh, drugs and suicide than COVID-19 deaths. So the unintended consequences of all the shutdown and what's going on, we have to take a look at that as well. Uh, Let me just add to that. Uh, You know, if we look at the Hippocratic Oath, and I think I've mentioned this on the show before, one of the elements of the Hippocratic Oath that the doctor says they will not only concern themselves with the health of the patient, but the general well-being of the patient, which includes their economic Mm well-being. They don't use those exact words, but that is implied in the Hippocratic Oath. That has been, especially by Fauci, and totally ignored phenomenon uh, as it pertains to this uh, to this disease that we're going through you know and i'm just afraid that we're going to also going to run uh, smack into uh, the normal flu season so this is going to become more complicated and i think we have to start to figure out how to lead our lives not suppress our lives within this model that we're looking at right now uh, no no question well said so handy the other thing that's ha- kind of happened is the marlins decided to suspend their season for a few days right now because of covid 19 i think the 15 players and a coach uh, have covid 19 uh, my thoughts are hey these are healthy people they probably have mild case just because they got tested positive doesn't mean they're going to die I mean, <laughs> they might get a fever might uh, lose their sense of uh, smell or taste there for a couple of days but what an overreaction to all this nonsense well, I mean, that's, that's uh, standard throughout America at this point. The, uh, the Marlins, they, they had a significant number of cases, all lacking in, in real significance. The Phillies being there, uh, their, their competition at that point have also been shut down. The Yankees uh, scheduled to play the Phillies have had their schedule limited. Uh, and if we just add to that, you know, I, most of us that are baseball fans, and I've been a baseball fan all my life, we, we went to baseball as it, it took us away from everything right now with the focus they've had on, on, on kneeling, not just for social justice, which a case can be made that, okay, that's acceptable. I don't want anybody kneeling during the national anthem, but let's say if someone wants to kneel for the purpose of social justice, okay. But that's not what's going on, Bob. Yeah. What is going on is there, a, is there a, a direct alignment with MLB, with Major League Baseball, and Black Lives Matter. Now, Black Lives Matter is, is anti-police, anti-white, pro-violence, uh, pro um, anti-nuclear family. Uh, this is a uh, an alignment that I find uh, not just as a baseball fan, but as an American, totally unacceptable. So uh, I'm having a tough time with uh, with this uh, resurrection of baseball from uh, from its deathbed, uh, and I don't know whether I want it to go on or not. Baseball is a uh, is a game of tradition and records. In a 60 game season, Bob, records will not matter. You know, yeah. you look at a baseball season to see if somebody's going to break the home run record or is going to hit uh, more than 424, Roger Hornsby. So, but in a 60-game season, all of that doesn't matter. And that is the essence of baseball to a baseball fan, statistics yeah. and comparative historical statistics. Well, you well said, but uh, just to, to your point, it's dampened my enthusiasm to the point where I've ref- I used to watch almost every inning of every Red Sox game, quite frankly, and right now I haven't watched one inning and have no interest because of this Black Lives Matter association. I don't think the players understand. They're not kneeling for uh, justice, social justice. They're kneeling for anarchy they're kneeling for all the things that black lives matter stand it just is absolutely repulsive to me and so has the nba done the exact same thing i don't have no interest in professional sports at this point until they get get this figured out and stay out of politics they're great athletes they're the best in the world at what they do <laughs> so you know i i always i always like pro football bob because they wore helmets yeah and i couldn't see them i didn't know who they were i had no interest in who they were i hate to say something as as callous as that but i didn't i cared what they did on the football field yeah and now that they've become uh personalities and in, in our face uh the more they become individuals uh, expressing their political persuasions on a football field, the less interest I have in football itself. So, yeah. which is about your point with the NBA, I'm guessing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just uh, you know, stay in your lane, do what you do well, and stay, <laughs> and stay stay out of my face with your police. If you want to do that, uh, run them 
a hotel room or a, a room at the Mar at the conference room at the Marriott and, and hold a conference of some sort or invite people to attend. But do it on your own nickel, not on mine. If, Andy, I want to talk to you about the bar. Um, <laughs> About, well, let's call it a hearing yesterday. Can you stick around? I, I prefer to call it an interrogation, but you know, we'll, let's go with that. All right. Well, you know, stick around. Can you stick around? I will be here, Bob. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink, as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road. And it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I hope you'll stop by Lulu B's Diner. They just do great work and be going under construction now at the uh, Green Tree Plaza uh, Shopping Center. Uh, so they're offering a buy one, get one free for entrees. So you can find out more. Just uh, almost drop, drop by, have breakfast or lunch at Lulu B's Diner at the uh, Green Tree Shopping Center. Coming up, we'll be visiting with Larry Bell, professor at Mercy College. Right now we have with us uh, Andrew Joppa, again, uh, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, again, thank you so much for joining us. Well, Larry Bell is at Houston. Yeah, he is at, did I say something different? <laughs> Mercy College. No. Oh, I did? <laughs> I guess, I'm, I'm kind of screwing up today, and I apologize. Nah, I, I think we'll survive that. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Andy, uh, I want to get to the bar hearing. Well, let's call it a hearing. Uh, yesterday it was just, uh, in my opinion, a complete farce. Uh, they had they. Uh, he was supposed to be there to to state his point of view and answer questions. They wouldn't even let him answer questions. It was a complete joke. Yeah, I mean there were some events that are uh, personally embarrassing to watch and make you squirm as a human being that other human beings can act in such a deplorable manner. Uh, and as you as you just stated, they they were not interested in anything Barr had to say, obviously. And they, uh, as with the Democrats, in many cases, they prepared how they were going to deal with this. Each and every one of them, when Barr tried to answer, said, I'm sorry, you're, you're taking my time. You're taking my time. Uh, their time was, was only there for one purpose, and that was to allow uh, uh, Barr to state his positions on the issues. So they asked rhetorical questions. Everything they, uh, they were asking were not, in fact, questions, but were, were statements as they saw them a fact. And every, almost everything they said was wrong. Jerry Nadler led, led that assault, a, a complete embarrassment as a, uh, as a congressman from New York. And if we add to that uh, the brilliance, and I, I say that facetiously, of course, Hank Johnson. Hank Johnson known for having stated that uh, Guam may tilt into the ocean if we send more <laughs> Marines there, as it, as it creates unbalance. Yeah. Sheila Jackson Lee, when talking about police assaults, 
also included the, the Trayvon Martin uh, circumstance, which was not police, and the obviously disproven uh, police issue in the Michael Brown shooting. So, so you have this interrogation of, of Bill Barr, one of the finest men that's been in American politics, as apolitical as a person could be in a very sensitive office, who is being essentially assaulted uh, by a, a Democrat preparation to do exactly that. That was their intent. Yeah, uh, I think Jim Jordan has, has almost always came up came up very big. I, I would note that there was a uh, a moment of, of comedic relief when I think it was Doug Collins who who asked uh, Barr, you know, how will these people react if the uh, if the rioters attack the Capitol building? And, and Barr said something along the lines, "I'm not sure about this group," uh, which, <laughs> yeah. which is probably very true. They might have supported the attack on the Capitol building. So it, it was a, a deplorable moment for. Uh, for American uh, reality. Uh, on the other hand, any fair-minded person who, who watched this this process, and I just don't understand how they can come away. Uh, they may not come away as Trump supporters or as, uh, you know, politically moved to the right, but they should come away with a feeling of of, of disgust and a feeling of of being bothered by the nature of how these people deal with a uh, with a with a situation of great importance in America. You know, as as Barr tried to explain, and he did so, I think uh, eventually, uh, why the Portland courthouse uh, had to be defended, uh, what was going on in terms of fire bombs three being thrown at it and into it. And as the police would emerge to try to put these fires out, they would be they would be attacked. Those remarks totally ignored, totally ignored as the as the premise of the of the left is continuously that these are only peaceful protesters. Uh, Jordan shows about it. I guess it was maybe a seven or eight minute movie, uh, just laying out completely uh, some of the horrors that have taken place in Portland uh, over the past past several months. I think it was long. I mean, Jordan intentionally made this long just to emphasize that this was not just snippets of what was going on. This was a continuing process with, with a continuous number of moments of violence and destruction. So um, what we saw yesterday, I, I think, was one of the most embarrassing moments that, that an American could experience. Um, and uh, it's, I think, all too typical of, of the American political left. Yeah, and uh, I have to say that I, I, it made me think about the bar uh, confirmation, the uh, uh, Brett Kavanaugh confirmation hearings, and just that sense of embarrassment I experienced that these human beings, are these really human beings doing this? I had that same sense yesterday at, at how how low these people can stoop. At one point, uh, you know, he'd asked for a break, five-minute break, and uh, Barr said, uh, or uh, Nadler said no, and he said, you know, you're a class act, he chuckled, you're a real class act. <laughs> Yeah, and then Nadler has the audacity to, I think his wording was, uh, to talking to Barr, you should be ashamed, and he says it again for emphasis. You know, Barr has, uh, you know, been as, as apolitical as his position would allow in a situation in which he found himself. Right. Uh, and yet this man is being excoriated, and, uh, you know, just uh, if, if the best of us can fall under their hammer, as, as Barr did, then I think... Uh, uh, the, the hope for the future becomes diminished by what we saw yesterday in the House of Representatives. Uh, there's no question about it. I just really admired Barr for his patience uh, under the circumstances because he was attacked again and again. He was uh, His uh, character was attacked. His uh, judgment was attacked. And, and, you know, and again, it was supposed to be a hearing. Why didn't they let this let him talk? In fact, that was what well, George. You, said. you know the answer to that question, of course. Yeah, because they don't want to hear the truth. It's a because they know they don't want the truth to be said to an American audience. They want the rhetorical question to be the only thing uh, that stands on the record and and having gone out over the airways. Talking about the, uh, the the calmness of Barr, I had to control my wife who wanted to jump through the television. <laughs> I mean, she, she, she is uh, incredible. I mean, she gets so angry. I yeah. I'm down for water on her sometimes. So you, know? you, can, you can almost see the planning session for this with Nadler sitting around to each of them and say, okay, now why don't you ask questions about uh, Black Lives Matter? And why don't you ask questions about discrimination? And why don't you ask questions about systematic racism? You ask about elections. You know, because they all had different topics. And it would, as soon as they started, they say, you're on my time. You're taking my time. They didn't let him answer. They just wanted to make their statements. It was just totally appalling. And their statements, um, statements were rejected. No, okay. go ahead. 
No, no, I was just interrupting you with no purpose. <laughs> <laughs> I just accidentally interrupted you. you so, know, uh, no, no, Andy. But uh, again, I think we're in violent agreement on this. But where do we go from here? I mean, I just don't. I just uh, again, I don't know if you had an opportunity to see Biden and his testimony or his. Uh, press conference that he held yesterday for the first time coming out and answering questions to reporters it looked to me like they were planted but uh i will no doubt. i will no give no him doubt. credit for this uh he seemed to be cogent he seemed to be able to handle himself even though he's speaking extremely slowly and cautiously he seemed to be able to keep a train of thought there for the entire press conference I, I don't think there's any chance that uh, that Biden will be uh, uh, commit to a face-to-face debate with uh, with Trump. Uh, Trump has a, a remarkable mind. He's very quick. Biden is not going to have the spontaneity to uh, in any way interact with Trump. I, I predict, and I, I have no idea, of course, whether I'm right, there will not be a debate within any normal definition of a debate that, that, that we can see. Uh, Biden can handle himself in a, uh, in a slow, well-manufactured process with everything prepared in advance. Uh, and yes, he can do that. But if you're talking about spontaneity, there is no chance this man can handle that situation. Well said. Andy Joppa, again, uh, professor and author of Josephus of Oz, off topic for today's discussion, but it's a great read. Andy, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. I've got a lot more to talk about, Bob, so we'll have to get back to that sometime in the future. (laughs) Okay, Andy. Hey, have a great week. We'll look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks so much. You you too, Bob. All right. Bye-bye. All right, coming up. we're going to visit with uh, Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston. I said uh, Mercy College at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of several books. I'm looking forward to his latest, which is coming out this week, How Everything Happened, Including Us. It should be so interesting. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulubee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. I served on the board, president of the board, for 15 years. Very proud of what we've accomplished. You can find out more by visiting the website, Golf Shore Playhouse. 
www.dodd.org. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's also the author of several books, some on climate change, some about cyber warfare. His latest coming out sometime this week, maybe it's on Kindle, I think it's already on Kindle, How Everything Happened, Including Us. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Bob, thank you for having me on. Always a pleasure, Professor. And I'm really looking forward to uh, reading how everything happened, including us. As I understand it, this goes back billions of years up to uh, the current day and how we got here. Yeah, it goes back actually to the uh, so-called Big Bang. And uh, it's interesting. You know, it's it's a serious book. It's about 350 pages, and and it's but it's broken into a lot of sections, so... I, I think I don't think it's difficult to read or to follow, because you, know, uh, you know it's. And you look at to me the most interesting thing about the book is when you know it's when when you look at the the timelines, you know of how how it took billions of years before the first living cell, you know, and then you go from billions of years to hundreds of million, hundreds of millions to on up to decades and years, and and you see exponentially how how rapidly things are happening, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's it's a book. It's really about you know the planet, the globe, not America specifically. I talk about the the birth and growth of empires and and and, and the great wars and and things that were you know that were. Uh, it's, it's kind of hard to totally erase the notion that I'm writing it as an American, but I try to focus on you know, what are the what what what, I, what are the really big events that occurred? You mm-hmm. know that that in the various mass extinctions that somehow we you know we both missed and benefited from in terms of our own uh, evolution. So I found a fascinating book to to read or to write and uh, and. Uh, I, I I think it's just fascinating, not because I wrote it, but because you know nature wrote it. Yeah, you know, Professor, uh, when you describe that, it just you know we're just as a human beings, just kind of a Homo sapiens, just kind of a blip on the scheme of things in in terms of time. Things of so much so much time, and and we've been here so little time, and uh, it's it's just uh, this sense of awe that you must have about the universe and and our globe. And I can't imagine after exper- after finishing the book, you must have said uh, to yourself, "Wow, this is just amazing uh, what's happened." Well, it's just unbelievable, you know, and you, you know, Harari's book is good, and, you know, Sapiens is good, and, and, but mine is a little, perhaps a little more, uh, I put a happier face on, 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 on Sapiens than, than, than he did, and, yeah, we, we beat up the Neanderthals, and, you know, and, and, and so on, actually, we bred with some of them, too. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we you know when when humans started domesticating animals and planning, you know, when we when we went from being hunting gatherers to you know to you know to farmers and 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 all these these t- changes. Now we've got the information revolution, which is just phenomenal, and we're we're creating machines that can think in many respects better than we can, and uh, it's it's a it's an amazing. Story. It's you know, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, and indeed, it kind of kind of gets to the column that you wrote for. Uh, well, again, I want our listeners to know how everything happened, including us. I'm really excited about reading the, the, your next book. I've enjoyed all of the others, and uh, again, it's called "How Everything Happened, Including Us." Professor, that, that kind of leads to this topic about China spying on us and you and, and cyber warfare and a variety of biotech issues and security threats that we're experiencing, all kind of going to this. Uh, uh, embassy or uh, this out, outpost that was uh, being closed in Houston. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, of course, the you know the hacking in Houston, the, you know the the consulates and uh, and the both both the human spying, which is, has to do with infiltration of Chinese students in our universities and so on. I don't mean that. I, I'm, I talk, I'm not talking about you know really. Really good, useful, helpful, wonderful Chinese students. I'm talking about 
I'm talking about the Chinese Party uh, operatives, right? And uh, those that are really here with the, with the mission of stealing technology, and the ones that you know that the fact that you know the human espionage and the cyber espionage, and, and uh, of course the you know the, it's been going on for a very long time, and and every country has bugs in everybody else's business, and you know like the cyber warfare is. Is everybody against everybody, uh, and it's it's pretty scary because on the one hand you're you're stealing, you know, secrets. Or, you know, people are with the Chinese, uh, and I want to always specify. I'm talking about the Chinese Party, not the Chinese people. Right. The Communist Party. Um, you know, they've been spying, and they use just like Russia does. Russia, we sort of call them. The Patriot spires, uh, spy links, which is a lot of times they use, you know, they use people that are, you know, they use uh, kind of kind of private operatives rather than you know government people to do their spying for them, and maybe they can plant some ransomware along the way and make some money, but gives them a deniability. Well, we didn't do it, you know these these. These, these cyber criminals did it. You know, you know China, but, I don't think anything happens that, that isn't authorized by the, by the Chinese government. So, right, right. And so I, know, we we see this. We saw it here on the burning of the documents following the you know, closure of the of the consulate, which is right actually quite near my home. And uh, and and then we we kind of parallel this. I think it was a matter of Trump administration wanted to really. Expose some of the stuff that was going on, including one of the Chinese, you know, uh, actually an officer, woman uh, of, the, of the Chinese uh, Communist Party, that was, uh, they came in on a false piece. I didn't tell anybody. Of course, she, she was a spy and she was holding up in this consulate in San Francisco. So, yeah. It's a, it's a, <clears throat> it has broad ramifications, particularly. When you know they and other countries have worms and bugs in our in our energy grid and in our communication systems, and it's it's a, it's another kind of virus that uh, is just pandemic. It goes everywhere at the speed of light. Well, as you pointed out, you, you wrote a book, Cyber Warfare, Targeting America, Our Infrastructure, and Our Future. It just gave you cold chills when I finished it. And, and I think as you described it in the book is that we're in a rock fight uh, with uh, living in a glass house. I mean, they, we are so vulnerable to cyber warfare. And uh, you're just reminding me of all the ways that we are, especially uh, with regard to our grid and uh, our communications and energy and everything involved. Well, it even goes to, of course, anything that links to the internet is is vulnerable, and that includes every one of us. Mm-hmm. Every one of us is on a, on a laptop. You know, our we found out yesterday from one of the, my wife's investment companies that you know, there, you know, our, all our personal information somehow got you know got out there in cyberspace, and including social security numbers and so on, and we, along with countless others, and and I don't think that was a necessarily a hack, but it was an error, you know. And and, and uh, so we're all we're all tied into this system, and and none of us are immune. And and it ain't just the you know the folks around the corner; it's people across the world that are that are hacking into us. It, you know, distance doesn't mean anything. Yeah, exactly right. Again, Professor Larry Bell. And again, uh, the book that I'm looking forward to read, uh, How Everything Happened, Including Us, that's coming out soon. And if you want to really understand what's happening with regard to cyber warfare, or I'm going to call it a great review around the world of cyber warfare targeting America, our infrastructure, our future. That's Larry's previous book. Larry, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you, Bob. And and, and the, the book is out on Kindle now. And Hopefully in the next couple of weeks it'll be out in hard copy. You can also pre-order, and you can note this uh, pre-order from Stairway Press. Perfect. Thank you so much, Professor. All right, well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did and learned a lot as well. Got kind of excited talking to Andy about everything that's going on. Hope you join us tomorrow. Keith Law. 
as a uh, the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. It's an organization that I really appreciate because they do so much to help the uh, quality of education in Florida. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Less Government. He'll be joining us, and the former mayor of uh, Naples, Bill Barnett, will be joining us as well. Uh, I always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. We also send out a, a, a message about the show each day after the show, so you can sign up for that too. Just send me an email, bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs> so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.